everyone. Welcome back to Well Then, a podcast where we talk about all things wellness and putting your health first. I'm your host, Megan Scherer. Today's guest is an incredibly special woman and somebody that I am so thrilled to finally welcome to the show because her journey and the work she has done has made such a massive impact in my own life without her even knowing it. Her name is Emily Nolan. Emily is a model, a body positive activist, and the host of Brave Talks, and her whole ethos is all about radical honesty and self-acceptance. A few years back, Emily started honestly documenting her struggles and her journey with disordered eating, body dysmorphia, and plastic surgery. And she ultimately ended up sharing about her breast explant surgery or deciding to get her breast implants removed. At the time, I was starting to have feelings about wanting to remove my breast implants that I had put in two years prior and was really unsure where to turn for advice. I had never met another woman who had had their implants removed and not replaced. And I was scared and and really seeking some clarity and guidance when I just happened to stumble upon Emily's story. And she was documenting her journey in real time. And those of you who've been listening to this show for a while know that last season I did a series all about breast implant illness and women who've decided to get their implants removed. And I alluded to a woman in that series who was kind of the catalyst who gave me the courage to go through with my explant surgery. And that woman is Emily Nolan. So you can see why I would be so excited to chat with her here today. We dive into her journey, her story, all the different versions of Emily that she's experienced throughout her life and all the growth and lessons that those versions have taught her. She has such candor and radical honesty with sharing her story in a way that makes it really relatable and impactful for other people, whether you can relate to her background and experiences or not, there will be something so powerful for you to take away from her story. So I'm so excited for you guys to hear from Emily today. So let's dive right in. All right. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the show. And thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I know that we have been talking about this for a while now and you're somebody I, I admire so much and I've, I've really been looking forward to having you on the show. So I'm glad that this conversation is finally happening. Mm, thank you. Well, I admire you so much as well. Oh, thank you. Um, so I would love to dive in with, you know, something we were just talking about is the way that you really beautifully and eloquently set up the the timeline of your life, um, when you talk about this idea of us being allowed to change, you you talk about there being four versions of Emily in your life. You you said young Emily, pretty Emily, brave Emily, and full Emily. And you know maybe even by now there's another one. Um, so I I'm curious if you could dive into that a little bit more, what that timeline has been for you and who those Emily's are to give listeners a a better idea of of where you've been. Yeah, thanks for acknowledging that. Um, So the four versions of Emily was really my idea of how I can almost compartmentalize these versions of myself and see in a, in a brief timeline or I, I guess a succinct timeline um, all the changes that I've made in my life and also to say, okay, I think this is the death of me now, like the death of this Emily and like the rebirth of another Emily, for example, like, um, 
becoming a mother. Like that would be a timeline um, that would change the version of me. Um, but in the beginning, there was little Emily. Little Emily was innocent and um, unscathed and, um, you know, put a bowl over her head and just cut her hair right off and looked like her brother and had a bowl cut on her head and had no idea of like gender roles and expectations of being a young girl. And then um, Pretty Emily, I became Pretty Emily in a, in a kind of like a transformative few years. And it started off at my first sleepover when one of my girlfriends locked me in a bathroom and tried to weigh me. And she wouldn't let me get out of the bathroom until I weighed myself and I finally caved. And um, I let her weigh one of my legs. <clears throat> and then <clears throat> I was just so desperate to get out of the bathroom. And I think she sensed it that, um, that she let me out. And I came to find out that her mom was on Weight Watchers and weighing her and, you know, judging her by her weight. And that's when I really realized that I was different than the other girls. I was bigger. And, um, and, and so I, be, I went on this journey to become pretty Emily. And that, that version of me was like from age 10 to um, like near college and a little past college. And that version includes like the eating disorders and um, just body dysmorphia and uh, plastic surgery. And um, we, you know, you and I both share breast implants and the explant that we went through, although that would be in a different chapter of my life. And, you know, that version of me was really the one that was striving to appeal to culture and the expectations that our culture has on what we need to, to look like and to act like as a modern woman and to fit in and uh, what size we need to be, you know, like you have to be under a size 12 to go shopping in any store still, which is insane to me in the majority yeah. of stores. So that was, um, that was pretty Emily. And then after pretty Emily, um, came brave Emily. And it was this moment when I was in Greece and, I was at a writer's workshop with Cheryl Strayed studying memoir. She's the author of Wild. And it was just like this so poetic summer. It was so perfect and so cool. And I was out there with my husband, Matt, and we were just really enjoying it. And I remember, I mean, memoir is tough, man. Like you have to write your shit and it's all about radical honesty. And I, um, I remember one afternoon, it was so hot. We were on this island called Patmos in Greece. And I was like, in one of those transformative moments where I just needed to like break out of it. And so I went for a run in my sports bra. I had been doing a yoga event. I had a nonprofit that I started. I still host this event, but I haven't done it recently because we're in quarantine. It's called okay. Topless Yoga. And it's all about embracing your body the way it is it's bras on bellies out radical self-acceptance and so I went for like a topless run so sports bra run and you know if you're not used to running in your sports bra because you don't have a six-pack like it's not the easiest thing to do it's certainly confronting and it takes a lot of bravery so I was running up mountains and letting it all hang out and it was just like so hot. I was on the street. Patmos is a very, um, 
it's not uninhabited, but it's, there's not many people on this island. And it, there was nobody, there was not even a house on this road. And I just kept winding and winding and winding around this mountain. And I finally got to this last hill. I'm at the very bottom of this mountain, this Greek mythological mountain. And, uh, and they're not green, they're like desert hills, really. And um, I'm, I look at the top of the thing and I say, top of the, it was a road just leading straight up, not even going around. And I just said, if I can make it up this mountain, you know, there's something on the other side for me. And so it was almost like an illustration of like me running into the next chapter of my life and the next version of my life. And I just up that mountain was pounding my chest and I was, tears were streaming on my face and I was screaming, brave, brave, brave. And no one could hear me, but like a goat on the side of the highway wasn't <laughs> on the two lane road. And it was so embarrassing, but it was one of those moments that I needed. And my chest was like beat red from just pounding the shit out of it. And I just like believed in myself for once that like, okay, I'm, I'm perfect the way that I am. We hear that a lot, but like more than that, like I'm a fucking miracle. And like, I can, I have the opportunity to change and accept myself and to embrace myself like right now and, and tell the truth, you know? And, and I think that that's really like, for me, what, what motivated my bravery and, and excited me more than just saying, oh, I'm perfect the way that I am, or my body's so beautiful or whatever, just the way it is. But like, the truth, man, like that will set you free and that will excite you because it's limitless, right? Like you're, you're unlimited when you can tell the truth, like, you know, and, and not be afraid of someone's judgment and, 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 you know, just radically accept yourself. Like that is, that's compassion. So I was running up the hill and I got to the top and I just had this feeling that something was waiting for me on the other side. And there was this there was this big mirror and it was a big circular mirror that I guess you see like when you're turning a sharp turn and like you want to see around the corner, but it was like huge and it was staring at me right when I got to the top and it was dusty because no one had really been there to clean it off. And within the mirror, someone had taken their finger and drawn a heart shape. And I mean, I was staring back at myself like my body into this mirror and beyond the mirror was the most beautiful landscape of like these blue Greek waters. And it was just this very poetic moment for me in my life. And I was just like, so that's it. That's why I came here. And that's, this is the journey. And, and, you know, like I was forever changed after that moment. I was like, there's no going back. And a lot of my journey, um, you know, I think we think that, healing and transformation is black and white and linear but in in my experience it's not you know even after that I was triggered in a yoga class and um, just started running and uh, over exercising again and um, lost my period became infertile lost a lot of weight it's like I was brave and I was accepting myself and then all of a sudden it's like this version of Emily that got triggered again after like huge transformation and huge radical self-acceptance. And um, 
you know, I had a, my, my yoga teacher, the, the one that taught me how to teach yoga and certified me, um, told me I never looked better when I was like as skinny as I'd ever been and training for a marathon. And, you know, he was like, I'm so proud of you. And he, he said, yoga feels better when you're skinny and when you're thin and as infuriating as that is to hear and say now and, and to repeat, like, I, I just, you know, was like, okay, he thinks I'm doing something right. Like that's that outside validation again. And it's easy to lose yourself. It's, it's just easy to lose yourself period, you know, like to that outside validation. That's like the human condition is we always want, we're, I'm a pleaser. You know, like I always want to make people happy. My intent is never to hurt anyone, including myself. But in a way, like I hurt myself. Um, I'm like a martyr to like make people feel better, you know, to like validate other people and their mm. their opinions. So I went through that uh, moment where I call it full Emily, but, you know, I could probably write like triggered Emily instead just to prove that it's not linear, black or white. And, um, and then, you know, I became a mom and that, that version of me is still kind of new and raw. I do talk about it on my show, Brave Talks a lot with the mothers that come on and we talk about, um, motherhood and I mean, just the understanding of life through the lens of motherhood is, it's completing for me. I, I get it now. And I can only imagine what it feels like when you become maybe a grandmother. I'm sure maybe the lens is even more complete. You're like, wow, I thought I had it when I was a mom. (laughs) Now I really get, you know, the meaning of life or the purpose or whatever. Um, You just start to understand things. You empathize more. This is my experience. Uh, The empathy is, is deep and the compassion is great. And it's just, to me, um, there's so many cliche statements about being a mom and that journey. Uh, one of them for me is that uh, I had great struggle becoming a mom and great joy at the same time. And I think a lot of us experience that as mothers and caregivers because it's a, a death. It is a it's the closest I've been to death, not necessarily physically, um, but of everything about myself, of my ego, of my identity. It was a death of all of all of that crap, all of the and the good things of my past. You know, I didn't even think that I was the same person. Like, was my name even Emily? It was so strange. And now I have some perspective, and I can see, like, okay. You know, I was hosting these retreats before my son came. I was doing, um, all, you know, somebody would call me. I would have, a, when I was modeling, a client would call my agent. And my agent would say, you have to be in Paris the next day. And be like, great. That was it. Pack up and go. <laughs> I could never do that now because no. there, there's so many more things that, um, you know, that just come into play. But um, I think that one of the the important things that we go through 
you know, now as a mom and that, that last transformation, which is the fifth transformation of, of my life, the fifth big one. Um, the important thing is like, it is a rebirth, just like all of the other transformations. And like, I can be my own version of my mom, like of, of me as a mom. And that doesn't have to look like what culture expects it to look like. So I struggled and, and grappled with that. And, and still I come up, um, struggling with that too, because, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm still nursing Oliver. He's almost two. And, and so I guess you call that attachment parenting or, you know, whatever, where you're always with your baby. And, and I could never leave. I've never left him for one day. I've never left my son. And that's probably a beautiful thing. And I'm sure a lot of moms go through the same thing too, but it's so crazy to think that like, you know, my husband's left for work and he travels sometimes and, you know, he comes and goes and like, I'm just there. And so it can be, it's a beautiful thing and it's a mind numbing thing at times. And, um, the, the cool thing is to remember that in this version of, of, of me, of motherhood, um, it can, it can look any way I want it to look just like the other parts of my life, like when I was reborn into the new version, right? So it could be truly, I, I could work through it. I couldn't work through it if I didn't want to. I could, um, you know, whatever I wanted to do. I could hire a nanny. I could not hire a nanny. I could teach, I could stay at home and be a stay-at-home teacher during quarantine. Um, I could send my kids to school. Like there's no right way to do it or wrong way to do it. The only way is to listen to to myself and to. Um, really be honest. Yeah, I think there's so much, there's so much power in giving yourself permission to be honest. And I mean, in everything that you just shared, I think the most beautiful thing about it is your acknowledgement that it's not linear. Our lives aren't linear. Human beings aren't linear. What we go through, it doesn't have to be, you know, point A and then point B and then point C. Like you can change as many times as you want, and sometimes you'll change back, and sometimes you'll you'll sort of revisit lessons you thought you had completed and locked away. But you're you're allowed to reach deeper levels and layers and versions of them. And and even in when you shared, like, okay, well, in this version of me, this is what it looks like that statement alone gives you so much permission to create a new version if you want to. If this version isn't working anymore, you get to evolve. Mm-hmm. And I think so many people get stuck in just one identity and thinking like, well, this is who I am and it's who I have to be because it's what people expect of me and it's what society expects of me. So even if I'm unhappy, this is the way it is. Exactly. And it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, there's, again, there's so much in what you shared of all the different versions of Emily that you've experienced so far in your life, and I'm sure there'll be many more. Um, and just to touch briefly on the, the version or the kind of point where I tapped in and tuned into your story, um, I, I think I stumbled across your work when I had um, just gotten started forming my nonprofit that does a lot of work around body positivity and self-esteem and empowerment for younger girls. Um, and obviously that's, those are conversations that you have a lot of. And, and so 
I think I started following you probably sometime in 2016 um, and really resonated with your message a lot. And at the same time, I, I had been a little over a year into getting breast implants myself and was feeling incredibly lost, like was sure of a lot of the things I was teaching and the work I was doing with my nonprofit and my clients, but in my body, I felt so disconnected and had a, had a sense that it was probably the implants. It was probably these foreign objects in my body that so were not me. But at that point in time, I had never come across anybody who had explanted before. I hadn't hadn't even heard of that as a thing. You know, these days, I think there are a lot more stories online about women getting their implants taken out uh, specifically for, for reasons relating to breast implant illness, which I talked about with a lot of women last season on my podcast. Um, but I didn't necessarily think I was experiencing like those physical symptoms. It didn't seem like there was anything wrong with the implants. I just knew they didn't feel right. And until you started sharing your story, I had never seen a woman who had just decided these aren't for me anymore. And so I'm going to get them out. Like I made a decision before and that decision isn't authentic for me anymore. So I'm giving myself permission to change it. And I don't think you realize like how much you changed my life in that sense by just giving me that permission by being that example and seeing like, oh, it's okay to just change your mind and shift into a new version of yourself because what you chose back then isn't authentic for you now. And, and that's okay. So I just want to say thank you, first and foremost, for being so open about your journey, because it, it truly is the thing that gave me the, the bravery and the confidence to go forward with my explant journey. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I know I reached out to you at the time too, because I was like very scared and like, I'd never, I had never had any context for, you know, what is going to happen. Every, everybody who I told, like, this is what I'm doing. Their response was, aren't you worried about what you're going to look like afterwards? And aren't you worried about this and this and that? And so just being able to ask you questions about your journey and your recovery and all of that, um, Made, made a huge difference for me. So again, thank you for your bravery and, and your honesty there. Absolutely. That's my highest service, I feel. Um, I remember standing on the corner of the sidewalk in front of my condo building in South Beach, and I had just gone for a run. And it was the last thing that was in my body that was tugging on me that really kept me from radically accepting myself were these breast implants. And I got them when I was 22 because maybe 23, um, I had an ex-boyfriend narcissist who told me real women have boobs mm -hmm. and he insinuated that I needed larger breasts. So I remember having a conversation with my mom and it was the hardest conversation in 23 years of my life. And um, I grew up in a very conservative family that, I mean, plastic surgery was never even a thought crossing anyone in my family's brain. Right. And, um, and, you know, just that triggering comment sent me down this dark hole. And so I, I had 
these breast implants for this guy that was no longer in my life. And uh, even if he was in my life, they were for him, you know, so it wasn't even uh, for me and a decision out of self-love or compassion, which would be, for example, like, let's say a breast cancer um, survivor wanted to reconstruct her breasts. Like that would be a decision that she wants to make out of compassion for her body, not necessarily for someone else. Although, you know, I guess it could go both ways actually. Um, but it, for me, the decision was out of self doubt and a deep unappreciation for my working perfect, normal body. And, um, I just remember standing on that corner and I called my mom and I just said, mom, actually, I think I called my husband first, I called Matt first. And I was like, I'm getting a breast explant. And he, I think his first response was, oh boy, <laughs> everything. He's like, okay, here we go again. Here comes another journey for Emily. And he was like, well, I have, I also have a, a, a blood clotting condition, which makes surgery or even birth for that matter difficult and very challenging and um and I remember him saying well what about the blood clotting like I think it's safer to just leave them in I'm like yeah but you'll actually you have to get them exchanged like every 10 or 12 years anyway and I was coming up coming up on like eight years or something like that and um I was like I'm done so I called my mom and I was like, I'm getting him out. And she had the same concern. She's like, oh, I don't know. You know, like, this is so dangerous. We're going to have to go through a whole thing again. And it's just another one of those things. And okay, if this is like, if your mind is set and there's nothing I can do to sway you, then let's just go through with it. And I went to a plastic surgeon in Miami and I asked him if that was even a thing. I was like, just take them out. I don't care what my boobs look like, to be honest. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, the last time I had gone in there, I held up a picture of Kim Kardashian. He's like, who is this girl? <laughs> and I was like, just wow. take them out. I don't want them anymore. I don't care. Like, you know, I'm sure my boobs will be fine, but like, I will be happier with them looking insane than if they were still in me. So like the worst case scenario of having them out was better than best case scenario of having them in. So I was like, let's just do it. And, um, well, I guess not necessarily because death could have been an option, but I just knew I didn't want to live life holding on physically to that decision. And I was like, this is a new version of me too. In a micro way, it was kind of big, but, um, getting that out was huge. And part of that brave, the journey of being brave, Emily and, um, and, and everything healed and I was able to breastfeed even. So it was really cool. Wow. Oh, that is amazing. Cause mm-hmm. I know that is a fear for a lot of women, even getting implants in the first place, let yeah. alone getting them out is, Oh, am I going to be able to breastfeed? You know? Oh yeah. Um, I remember going to a, um, lactation class before I gave birth and there's like 10 women and 10 partners there. And they teach you how to breastfeed. And it's such a weird class. I mean, like, you have no <laughs> idea what you're doing. And it's funny and it's all silly. Um, and I remember there was like a Q&A and some of the girls were, you know, one of the girls was pretty honest and she was like, I had a, a reduction 
can I still breastfeed? And my question was, I had an explant. Can I still breastfeed? And she's like, explant, what's that? And she was like this French lady. So explant, what is this? <laughs> and, and, and I explained to her and she was like, oh, this is so stupid. This is the stupidest question. And I was like, what? I could not believe how rude she was and how shameful she was about me wanting to get in, having implants, having them out. And I'm like, first of all, we live in Miami. So like half of Miami has breast implants anyway. Yeah, that's just the norm. (laughs) Right. So like, I can't be the first one to ask this question. And apparently I was, and it was like so shameful for me. I, I had no idea if I could breastfeed or not. So I asked my OBGYN, I was like, is breast milk really like the most amazing thing you could ever do for your kid or whatever? And she said, look, fed is best. And so like, no matter what fed is best. And I kept telling myself, like, I'm never going to be able to breastfeed because of this decision. It was the worst thing I could have ever done to my body. And sure enough, like as soon as the baby came, my milk came in and I was breastfeeding. I'm still nursing. The only thing that happened explant for me was that I lost all sensitivity on my right side, like on my nipple. And I had the sensitivity before with the implants and I, you know, one day may have like another surgery to look and see what happened because I had a, um, I don't know if you saw this when we were going, when I was sharing it like live, not live, but like, you know, day of or whatever, like as I was going through the process. Um, but I had the nurse who the day, maybe a week after I had my explant, the nurse forgot to pull a few stitches from where the tubes were around my right breast. And oh, yeah. I had a huge infection. And so they laid me down and did like surgery without any, um, any numbing or anesthesia because it was like really bad infection under my right breast because what was happening was my skin was trying to grow over these stitches and it was just creating this awful, it was so bad and it was oh. so painful. And I think like there's, I don't know if there's like still infection in there or something, but like I almost would have like an exploratory surgery in that small area to see what's causing that numbness or it could just be that like there are nerves damaged, but there could um, be scar tissue. There could be scar tissue. I mean, there could be so much, so much and it's not causing me pain it just would be nice to know. And even the numbness doesn't bother me because I still got the other side, but the, um, it, it's just like, I just don't want any, anything in there that's not healthy for my body. Yeah. And, and those are the kind of things too, like for women, I know a lot of women tuned into the series last season because they were thinking about explanting and, and hearing these kinds of stories can be helpful so that you understand like okay here are the possible risks like here's what could happen afterwards and I remember you telling me that um, the drains were super weird and uncomfortable was really helpful because they were I didn't expect that at all and they were so painful and probably the worst part of the recovery process for me and you telling me like that's normal made me feel so much more at ease with it it's the worst. It's the worst part. Oh, they're so, ugh, I even thinking about them kind of makes me cringe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Drains are the worst. 
Yeah, my best friend just went through this process uh, a few months ago, and and it was the same experience for her. She every day was just like, "I want them out. I want them out. They're so bad." And then once you get them out, it's you're great. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So I'm curious too. You know, you you mentioned in the telling of your story that um, you had had other plastic surgery procedures before as well in your in your earlier in your twenties. And for you, were those also kind of a byproduct of somebody else's expectations of you? And was there an aftermath there as well? I know with an, with breast implants, like there's something that you can actually take out. You can say, all right, I want to reverse this. So I'm just going to take these out. But with your other plastic surgery procedures, was there a sense of like, oh, I, I wish I hadn't done that. Like that wasn't for me. That wasn't compassionate or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's the same story. It's, you know, it's the same thing on repeat. I walked into my modeling agency. This is a short story. Well, it'll be shorter than what it actually was, but walked into my modeling agency in New York, sat down in a private room with my agent at the time. And we wrote down on a piece of paper, a stick figure. And in that stick figure, pointed to 16 different places of my body that needed liposuction. And that was what was going to make me, you know, the, the top model. And, and I left and I risked my life. I left to go get surgery and I risked my life to satisfy what the industry wants of a plus size model. So you have to realize this is happening at straight sizes, but also women that are size 16 are getting full body reconstruction to fit into this photoshopped idea of what we should look like. So, you know, there's so much that I could regret. I don't because I already have, and I felt it and I've passed that feeling, but you know, like spending the wedding money that my husband and I got on changing my body when it could have been a down payment on our first home, (laughs) you know, like Mm. how much regret I feel, but you know, it it goes back to like mental health and when you're not well, it's really hard to recover and until you're ready. And, And when you're ready, you can start seeing these things and, and have perspective. But, you know, when you're sick, um, never was like diagnosed as like, you know, mentally, whatever, I had never had a professional diagnosis. But for me, like I was, I mean, body dysmorphia is serious. It is a deadly disease that we, um, you know, think that, oh, like Snooki popularized body dysmorphia or something on Jersey Shore. And I mean, it's killing people and it could have killed me. And I I was fortunate, so fortunate to survive. And, you know, when you survive moments like that, where you've been to hell and back and you realize once you've risked everything, including your life, that nothing has changed. I think that's when you're willing to change, you know, maybe drug addicts have the same experience where they're like, every time I do drugs, nothing changes. I don't feel better when it's over. And so like, something's going to give, I've got to get better. And, you know, that was for me, that was when I was able to 
recover from like actually wanting to physically change my body. Um, but again, even then after going through full body lipo, I went through another eating disorder, red S where I was counting calories, you know, for exercising. So anybody listening to this is probably like, damn, this girl's sloppy. But the truth is, I think a lot of us live this way, maybe not on that um, great of like, you know, one to 10, 10 being the worst, one being not so bad. Like maybe I was at a seven or eight and maybe a 10 sometimes. Maybe some people are like a three or four constantly, but still I think we all live in this fear of, of um, radically accepting everything about us, our physical being, our, our, um, you know, what brings us actual joy and not what culture thinks should bring us joy. Um, our preferences, our truths, you know, like we live in so much fear around accepting that. And if we can just get to that point of, of, um, accepting everything, you know, like we, I think that that was like, for me, the turning point and motherhood had a lot to do with that because I mean, it just changes everything. I don't know if there's like an explanation exactly, but um, you realize like the power of nutrition and, and not like calories, but like nutrition and, and, and even with my son's food allergies, you know, like, nutrition is so important because he can only have certain foods now. And so we're so focused on, um, on that, but also like, for example, yesterday, I had a crazy day yesterday, lots of stress. And I was like, I love emotional eating. Like I'm so grateful for emotional eating because for me, it's one of the ways that I can, um, handle, feeling and i think like we shame the idea of emotional eating but like for me my intuition when i had this feeling yesterday of like intense stress baby was down for bed i was like all i want is a dark quiet room and a little tiny plate of these mini chocolate chips and some pretzels on the side and i just want to sit there quietly and watch netflix <laughs> and like my intuition said that and there's nothing wrong with that and you know like there's a movement called Haze Health at Every Size, and it is so important to know that that food isn't only nutrition; that it serves an emotional component as well. And like as a mom, I I truly understand that. And like emotional eating and shaming has everything to do with counting calories and losing weight and being a certain size. When you become aware that your body regulates itself and can you know say well last night you had a bunch of chocolate chips and pretzels so like i'm not so hungry this morning for breakfast but intuitively like you're not even thinking that your body just makes those decisions or maybe you are hungry and you still eat a big breakfast you know like your body figures it all out so there's this chart that health at every size shares it's some like infographic and it says you know on a let's say like the American diet, you consume 2,200 calories a day, 2,300 calories a day. And like every day when you count calories, you consume 2,300 calories a day. But when your body intuitively eats, some days you eat 4,000 calories a day. Some days you eat 
2,000 calories a day. Some days you eat 1,500 calories a day and you're fine because your body's just different every day and has different needs. And, and the interesting thing is when you eat the haze way, typically you eat seven to 900 calories less in a week than you would in a week where you follow a diet plan that's, you know, controlling your calories and restricting to like the, the standard 2,300, 2,300, 2,300 calories a day. Yeah. And I mean, gosh, there's, this is another reason that I'm so appreciative of your radical honesty and and sharing all the different pieces of your story and parts of your journey because you know for other young girls and women out there listening they can it it can hopefully serve as like a wake-up call when they when they first look at parts of your story that we should all work together to to like denormalize like the fact that plastic surgery has become so normal and that like it doesn't matter what size you are at plus size models straight size models everybody as you pointed out is going through these radical full body transformations full body um plastic surgery and and the extremes that so many people are going to to look a certain way when it's not healthy it's extreme it's potentially fatal in a lot of cases and and then start to normalize the more normal parts of the human experience, like changing your eating patterns and having difficult emotions and having days where you just want to sit in a dark room and like chill with your favorite snack. And to know that all ranges of the human experience are, are okay and all body shapes and sizes are okay. And that, you know, you just because you go to an extreme to look a certain way, it doesn't mean that you're going to become the happiest version of yourself. And more often than not, you'll be even less happy. <laughs> and it's it's so beautiful to see that expressed in all these different versions of you, because that's that's giving other women permission to be the fullest version of themselves too. Thanks. Yeah, totally agree with that. And I know something you and I were talking about um, before the, the podcast was um, kind of this idea and interplay of, of mental health as well. We've, we've talked a lot about body dysmorphia and identifying with a certain body shape or size, but there's also this idea of identifying with certain versions of yourself. And, and you alluded to it before that sometimes in particularly bigger transformations like becoming a mother, there's a bigger death to the version of you that came before that and how that can impact your mental health. So I'm curious what your experience has been of that lately and how you work to be proactive about taking care of your mental health. It's a great question. I had mentioned that, um, you know, I've just been having a really hard past three days, very challenging because we're trying to potty train our son, which didn't end up working out because, well, we'll get there. But, um, I, my husband was like, you know, I wish that you would just keep a positive mindset about this whole experience because, you know, I know it's hard and it, it, it's physically exhausting and I see you working hard, just like stay positive because it affects the whole family when you spiral. And I was like, look, I, I understand your comment, but let me explain where I'm coming from. Um, he also mentioned like when the, when the going get tough, the tough get going. And that's when I was like, let me explain how I'm 
feeling. And then he was like, well, it's not about the way you're feeling. It's about like the way you're acting. I'm like, no, no, no. Cause the way that I'm acting is because of the way that I'm feeling. Like I am on the verge of a mental breakdown. And you know, when you, when you're potty trained a toddler, I think people understand, especially when you're doing it pretty much on your own. Um, running around and for me like he needed to go poo-poo and he wouldn't do it in the toilet and it would just you know it was just it was bad so it was a lot of emotions and I was like you can say when the going gets tough the tough get going but when it comes to mental health you've got to abandon that crazy comment and and say you know like how can I help you? And like, what, how can I be of service um, so that, you know, you can restore that mental health aspect. And I, I'm an empath. I don't know if that has something to do with why like energetically these experiences drain me where when I'm going through, you know, Ollie has a two week growth spurt and it's just so hard. Like why, why did it, why does my girlfriend who has two kids under two never say anything to me? Like, girl, I know when it's tough, like you can call me or like I have days where I lock myself in a closet and I don't know what my kids are doing, but I just pray they survive for five minutes while I just breathe in the closet. Like I don't hear that stuff and it's got to be going on. I can't be the only one going through these experiences where it's like so freaking hard. And, and, um, and mentally hard it like physically I think in the beginning because you just don't have enough sleep but then it becomes a mental game where it's like mundane you can only listen to Elmo so many times and sing patty cake and twinkle twinkle and all you know it's beautiful it's cute it's fun <laughs> like let's get real like when you've done it a million times and it's like, it's like Guantanamo Bay torture <laughs> and, and you love your kid. You'd give your life for your child. Right. So this is a matter of mental health and, and empathizing with, with mental health. I think one of the best things that we can do is be transparent about our feelings and how we really feel and what we're going through. Um, because there's, I mean, there's so much, so much um when that we don't talk about you know yeah I think that empathy is really really the biggest key and and sharing our stories a little bit more because to your point like how much easier would it be even if it was only a fraction easier it would still be easier to know that you weren't the only one going through it and that's what we do when we share our, our experiences with our friends, our close circles, or our social media audiences, whoever, it gives everybody else permission to have tough times too and know that we don't have to be perfect and polished and put together all the time. And, and that being a human is hard sometimes. So let's all give ourselves a little bit of credit. Yeah, absolutely. I think if anyone's out there listening who is going through time a time like that, whether it's as a mom or just, you know, as an individual with body image or with nutrition or anything that if you haven't heard someone talk about it or sh share about it, have the confidence in knowing that it is normal and, and whatever you're going through is not the first time anyone's ever gone through it and you're not alone. And unfortunately people just don't talk about it, but I guarantee you 
it's going on other places and you're not alone. So just have the confidence in knowing that you can get through it. Um, pay attention to your feelings and get help, you know, have some grace, but like ask for help and ask, ask for what you need. Don't be afraid to ask for what you need. So important. I love that. That is such a beautiful, beautiful place to close out and such good advice to leave people with. Um, as a last question, this being a wellness podcast, I always like to ask my guests on the show, what is one of your favorite wellness practices that you swear by and can't live without right now? And that could be, you know, for your mental health, physical health, anything. Oh, gosh, my first thought is just non-attachment to any rules. I think that maybe in the past, it would have been like, have to do yoga every day or have to meditate every day. And I, I try, but I think just taking the middle road is so important. And and having that non-attachment to to any outcome or needing something is really important. Even to like the superfood smoothies and all the yummy stuff. Like, okay, so like strawberries will do today. Or an orange from the gas station is perfect. Or, you know, like that's the middle road for me. And that to me is is so vital to well-being, especially in a culture that's saturated with um, orthorexia. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that and calling that out. Cause I think it is so easy to get lost in like, Oh, I have to do all these things all the time, all the yoga, all the superfoods I have to eat perfectly. And that can make your health health worse in many cases. So having non-attachment, giving yourself permission to not have to be so rigid with, with your rules and restrictions is oftentimes the thing that gives people access to like the happiest version of themselves. Absolutely. So where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, um, hear more about your story and follow the work that you're doing? Where, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram. My handle is at I am Emily Nolan. And my website is emilynolan.com. And I have links to Twitter. Everything is I am Emily Nolan. Facebook, I'm Emily Nolan. Um, LinkedIn, same thing. Awesome. I'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes below. So for those of you who are listening, if you're not already following Emily, I highly recommend it. She shares such amazing, valuable insight and just real everyday life and um, is is definitely, you are somebody I look up to a lot and, and I recommend everybody else follows you as well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. And again, for your radical honesty and vulnerability and just your willingness to share your life and, and who you are with people. It's such a gift. And I really appreciate having you here. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Yes, thank you, everybody who's tuned in. If you know somebody who could benefit from hearing this episode, I highly recommend that you share it with them. Um, subscribe for updates if you haven't already. And as always, until next time, have a happy and healthy day. Mm -hmm.